Joshua 14, beginning at verse 6 down to the end, and then Joshua 15, beginning at verse 13 to 19. Hear the word of God. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, and he, has, he said these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while, in Israel, while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, here I am this day, 85 years old. As yet, I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war both for going out and for coming in. Now therefore give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there, that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron formerly was Kirjath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. Then the land had rest from war. Chapter 15, verse 13 now to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a share among the children of Judah, according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, namely Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak from there, Sheshai, Ahiman, and Talmai, the children of Anak. Then he went up from there to the inhabitants of Debir. Formerly the name of Debir was Kirjath Sefer. And Caleb said, He who attacks Kirjath Sefer and takes it to him, I will give Aksha, my daughter, as wife. So Othniel, the son of Kenes, the brother of Caleb, took it. And he gave him Aksha, his daughter, as wife. Now it was so when she came to him that she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. So she dismounted from her donkey and Caleb said to her, What do you wish? She answered, Give me a blessing since you have given me land in the south. Give me also springs of water. So he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. There is the holy and errant word of God, and may he bless it to us as we hear it 
read and proclaimed. You know, coming to some of these passages like we are in a, 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 not a consecutive manner, it can be sometimes difficult to remember what Joshua is all about. And just very quickly, I want you to remember all the way back to the first sermon, 20 sermons ago, that Joshua is a book about God's people learning to stand in the promises that God has made to them and for them. Standing on the promises. Some of you will know that hymn. And, and that issue of promise comes out always and ever as Israel is called to go forward and lay hold of the land. And, and it is the promise. It was the promise of God to Abraham some 400 and maybe 50 years prior to Joshua coming into the land that God had said to Abraham, I'm giving you this land. It is going to be your inheritance. It is going to be a place where, as I cast out all of the nations before you, you, my people, will have rest from the tyranny of the nations of the world. And in that light, it, it is very much a picture of the work that Christ has done in order to accomplish our salvation, to bring us into that uh, place of eternal glory in the presence of God, where we have rest wholly and fully and completely from all the trials and struggles of sin and of this world and of Satan. And so Israel has come in to inherit the land. And, and we have seen often throughout uh, this uh, book how uh, Israel is, is the Old Testament shadow, the Old Testament promise and prophecy of what Christ would come and accomplish for his people altogether, known as the church. Israel inheriting the land, it, it's, its New Testament counterpart is the church living under the kingship of Christ till he returns and brings forth the kingdom of God in all its fullness upon the land. Israel was the representation of that kingdom of God. And as they went forward in battle, conquering the nations, they were showing that greater work that Jesus would do when he came to conquer the world, to conquer Satan, to beat back the gates of hell to redeem his people and to, in the church, establish that understanding, that view of the kingdom of God in the earth till its fullness comes. And so there we, we have an understanding of Joshua's purpose. But it isn't just Joshua that is uh, helping to realize the promises. We are brought now to Caleb. And we know the history of Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb, you go to Numbers 13 and Numbers 14, you will see when 40-something years ago they were right there on the verge of the land of promise, ready to go in, and these 12 spies go and, and search out the land, and only Joshua and Caleb came back to give a very positive report. Only Joshua and Caleb were standing before the people saying, let us go and lay hold of the land and take it, for the Lord our God is with us and he wants to give it to us. We know what the other ten did. The other ten did not have confidence in, in the Lord 
and, and did not understand the nature of God's promise. And they gave a bad report. And in particular, and why I'm, I'm bringing this for us is in particular, they were afraid of the giants that were there. These tall, physically uh, strong men who inhabited significant portions of this uh, Canaanite land. And, and they were afraid and they gave a bad report. And we know what went on. God uh, condemned that generation of men uh, to die in the desert. All those who were 20 years and older. A whole generation dead in the desert. They did not inherit the promise. In fact, we find out from scripture that they were a stiff-necked, rebellious, unbelieving people who died in the wrath of God. They were judged. And it, it's trembling. Uh, trembling to think that God would do this. But Joshua and Caleb, they had confidence. They had confidence in the presence of the Lord. And, and what really undergirded their their confidence in the presence of the Lord was that they knew that the Lord delighted in Israel so much he wanted to give them this land. It wasn't as though he was making it a tough struggle for them to possess it. He was working for them to enjoy the blessing of his promise. I think that's something we often miss when we are praying to God for things. We would enjoy the blessings of his grace. And what's interesting is that it was only Joshua and Caleb. We know uh, Moses, Aaron, Miriam, they all had their failings too, though they didn't die, though they died on the other side of the Jordan. Uh, they got to at least see part of Israel receiving their inheritance with the two and a half tribes. Uh, they weren't condemned like all of those men were. 20 years and over. But what is most interesting is that we come to Caleb. And did you notice how in, in verse 6 and in verse 14 and, and in verse 13 and uh, of chapter 15, uh, some four times we hear who Caleb is. Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite. What is so powerfully interesting about that? The Kenizzites were one of the tribes of Canaan that the Lord had come to destroy. Sort of like Rahab. Caleb is the son of one of these men that God had come to destroy. Now Caleb came out of Egypt, so we presume this and this is a little bit of assumption, but just think on this. Jephunneh was a man who came into the tribe of Israel while Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in particular uh, dwelt in the land and before they made their trek into uh, Egypt and became slaves and came out. But Caleb is another one of those Gentiles converting to uh, Judaism, becoming a child of the covenant in Israel, marrying God's covenant people, and coming under the blessing. 
I think it's remarkable because, as I've often believed and said before, that even with the destruction of all of these nations, we know that God himself has said that he will have a people before him from every single one, tribe and tongue and people. That even with the wickedness of these nations, God still plucked out his Rahab, plucked out his Jephunas, plucked out those who had no connection to him. Such is the nature of his grace and goodness. And Caleb as well, being one of those foreigners engrafted into the nation of Israel, it becomes interesting again, like Rahab, how he is one who laid hold of the promises of God, who believed them with purpose and intent, and who really showed a faith that was greater than most of Israel. Isn't that amazing? That the people who were actual children of promise were the ones who struggled to lay hold of the promises of God. And here is this one who is engrafted in. And he says, I believe. God said it. If I could make an analogy to this, and I don't mean to disparage us to a great degree as uh, people of the Reformed theological perspective uh, uh, in, in Christ's church, But having been on both sides, I did not grow up within a reform setting. I was actually in a different setting. And uh, we came to faith from Arminian backgrounds and from, uh, may I say this, uh, one that would take God's word literally at face value. That when God says something, you believe it and you pray it. And, and I'm not saying we don't believe and we don't pray for things. But I often find that there is a skepticism of asking for great things from God within our theological perspectives. Because we don't lay hold of the unqualified promises that Christ makes. That when we hear God through his son saying... Ask of me whatever you will and I will do it so that the Father may be glorified. We always say, yes, but it has to be in accordance with God's will and for his purposes. But Jesus doesn't say that. I mean, you might say, well, that's implied. What does he say? Ask of me whatever you will. What a promise. And to lay hold of that. Ask of me for whatever you will, and I will do it. What usually happens is, and and I I think this is true for most of us, is we begin to pray for certain things, and when it doesn't come into being right away, we step back or we slow down, we're not as earnest, and soon we stop praying on a regular basis, and soon we, we even forget and no longer pray. Laying hold of God's promises. That's a hard thing to do. And what makes Caleb so remarkable is that he is an example of one who wholly followed the Lord, who believed and trusted in the Lord, and who received the promised blessings and rewards to those who believe and trust God. 
That's what we're seeing here. Didn't happen right away. We read it took 45 years for him to see the promise of God to him realized. And I think in our prayers this evening, it's been seven years since we've been praying for some of our children. Almost every single Sunday evening, almost every single prayer evening that we have, where we believe God's promise, we pray. And Caleb believed God's promise. Caleb uh, was an example from the previous generation who did not believe and did not receive. And it wasn't that there was a problem with God's promise. The problem was with Israel's unbelief. They wouldn't lay hold of what God had declared he would do for them. But you read it here three times. You read it from Caleb's own mouth. You read it uh, from Moses uh, having declared it to him. You read it from Joshua understanding that this is the testimony of the man who is before him. Joshua 14 verse 8 verse 9 verse, verse 14. Caleb wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. Holy followed, completely, fully followed the Lord God of Israel. And what that means, again, is that he so believed God's word that he was determined to be loyal and devoted to God in all things to the end. Holy following the Lord God. Not even King Solomon could have that said of him. In fact, the opposite is said of him, explicitly said of him. In 1 Kings 11, verse 6, Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord his God as his father David did. Solomon, the wisest of all of men, the most blessed of men, if you will, in riches, in power, in ability, in, in the uh, laying aside of all of his enemies and in the building up of the nation, wisdom. The same thing happened in Jesus' own day. If you were to go to Matthew chapter 8, and you would see Jesus as he is early on in his ministry uh, going around to uh, show and tell people that he is the Messiah who has come. In Matthew 8, he comes and heals the centurion's servant. And, and it's a miraculous healing that is accomplished where Jesus is willing to go and, and to meet this uh, servant in, in this uh, Roman centurion's home in Capernaum. But the centurion said, no, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. Just speak the word and my servant will be healed. I understand who you are as the Messiah, as the God, as the one with all authority and power. You don't need to be touching my servant to heal him. Just speak and he will be healed because I'm not worthy of being in your presence. And what did Jesus say of this man? I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. See, I come back to what I said earlier. You know, oftentimes it's, it's that newbie to the Christian faith who seems to have uh, a more visible 
strength to his faith than those of us who have been around for a while. What makes for holy following the Lord with such determination, devotion, and loyalty? What makes for great faith? That's what it comes down to. What makes for great faith? Well, we know what, what is said in Hebrews 11. We know what faith is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. It's but the way in which we obtain a testimony before God. Because Hebrews 11 says that without faith it is impossible to please our God. Because he who comes to God must believe that he is. Isn't that a strange way to put it? Must believe that he is. That he is the great I am. The eternally self-existing God who is standing in need of nothing, but who holds all the power, all authority, all wisdom, all knowledge, all grace, all those omnis. He is. And in believing that he is, we're believing that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Do you know how great faith is most clearly seen? Comes back to the same old thing that We've heard before, great faith is most clearly seen in God's people praying and asking for help. It comes down to that very simple thing. If we believe God is, we would be praying. And the strength and the presence of that great faith shows itself in that way. It showed itself in Caleb. What we see, first of all, is Caleb looked to what God promised when he wanted to lay claim to his inheritance. Notice what he says there uh, when, when he comes to Joshua. He said, you know the word which the Lord sa- said to Moses, the man of God concerning me. You heard the word of God that I would receive an inheritance in this land. Now that seems strange, but not strange when you realize he's a foreigner coming back to his homeland that has now been taken over by the people of God. And he's wondering, do I have an inheritance here? And the Lord said, yes, you do. But he looked to what the Lord had promised. A promise made to him through Moses, the man of God. And it was that promise that God had made to him that became the foundation of his boldness to seek it. God, you promised. Come and do it. Simple prayers. And that's the thing about great faith. That's the thing about holy following the Lord. It begins here in knowing God's word and having that faith to respond to it. Even mustard seed faith can do this. You see, faith in God, my dear friends, it's not an emotional action. It's not a positive feeling. It's not some idea that faith has met us. It's not empty and vain. Faith in God. Even that beginning of saving faith that has been worked in us. All faith is a response to God's word. His promises. 
Romans 10, 17. Faith comes how? By hearing and hearing by the word of God. How do you get faith? You hear God's word and the spirit turns up within your heart and understanding. This is the word from the one who is God who cannot lie. Our God is not a man that he should lie. He is a God of absolute truth. And when he makes a promise, when he makes such a statement as believe in my son and you will be saved. Faith says, I believe. God says, you are saved. And we think, that's it. Shouldn't there be something more? Shouldn't we wait and see if that faith is real before we start treating that one as a believer in Jesus Christ? Faith is a response to God's word. But it doesn't stop there. It's not just a simple response, but it's a resting in whom the word speaks of. Faith is resting in Christ Jesus as the seal of God's word. And when you are saying, I believe what God has said, you are not looking simply to words written on a piece of paper. You are looking to the one to whom it's pointing to, who is in heaven, who is the very Son of God, whom God has made the seal of every promise He makes to us. He is that authority by which God's promises are established to us. In my Son, you shall have it all. And you know, going back to that Roman centurion, if you were to read Matthew 8, verses 5 to verse 13, that whole circumstance, you would see what made his faith great. He believed Christ. (laughs) He believed that he was the Son of God. He believed that he had come to bring God's salvation to his people. And that great faith, it wasn't just that he saw himself unworthy. What's the, what's the counterpoint to that? He knew Christ was worthy. He knew Christ had authority. He understood authority. He even says that. I'm not worthy for you to come under my word. You're worthy to speak. And it will be done. I'm a man under authority. You have all authority. Christ, it is your authority to command. It will be done. You have the ability. That's why I came to you. I can't save my servant. You can. You are able. And he's willing. It always comes back to that last point. Not only is Christ worthy, not only does he have authority, not only is he able. You hear these words in Matthew 8, verse 7. Jesus said, even to this unworthy man who believed in him, I will come. I am willing. You see, great faith believes Christ. And to think back here to Caleb, to understand he was believing the same Lord. The Lord said to Moses that I have an inheritance. Let me have it. <laughs> he knew God's promises. Second Corinthians 1.20. I know many of you know it. God has declared that Jesus is what? The yes and amen 
of every promise in his word to you. Do you believe that? Now bring that back to what I said earlier about Jesus' unqualified statement in John 14, verses 13 and 14. Ask of me whatever you will. I will do it so that the Father may be glorified. Isn't that amazing? This is the God whom we trust. And if the Father has promised to you every spiritual blessing through his Son, your prayer shouldn't be just to have things, but your prayer should be, Lord, let me experience those blessings that I may live by faith in the one who has loved me and saved me. Faith is looking to God's promises. And to know God's promises, you need to know God's word so that you can have a larger understanding of God's will and purposes for you. Pray. I think also, holy following the Lord, it is this... uh, need of understanding and knowing God's promises. But we also have to wrestle with the old man. And the second point that we see here is learning to resist pessimism. Pessimism. How often are our thoughts of God quenched by pessimism? You go, you again, you go back to Numbers 14. And, and even here in Joshua 14, it's, it's spoken there about how, verse 8, the other ten spies who went with Joshua and Caleb and who came back with the bad report made the heart of the people melt. But Joshua 14, verse 8, but I still wholly followed the Lord my God. Can you imagine the pessimism that Joshua and Caleb had to resist? When ten others were standing there and saying to the people, don't listen to them. You didn't see what we saw. There were giants in the land. Yes, it's a land full, uh, flowing with milk and honey. But there's a people who are twice our size, stronger than us. One of them can take out ten of us. And we saw it filled. We were like grasshoppers before them. And, and we know what <coughs> pessimism does. It, it quenches zeal. It, it takes away that, that attitude of the heart that would trust in God. Wholehearted following of the Lord is a battle against pessimism. You know what the people wanted to do when Joshua and Caleb stood up and said, don't listen to those ten men. Listen to us. God is with us. We can do it in the power and strength of God. The whole congregation of Israel, Numbers 14, wanted to stone them. If you don't shut up, we're going to kill you. (laughs) Can you imagine? And when I talk about resisting pessimism, pessimism, it's not about looking at the glass and determining if it's half full or half empty. It's about fighting unbelief in our own hearts. It took ten men to bring a wave of unbelief over a million plus people. The attitudes and actions of other children of God can be very disheartening, but it doesn't have to rob us of our confidence in God. 
Again, this takes us back to that first point. Trusting in the promises. Standing in those promises. For Caleb, the wrestling was real. The pessimism was real. But if you, if you look closely, both in Numbers 14 and here, you will see that what Caleb grieved was not what God could and would do. What Caleb grieved was how the negative report of these ten men impacted the whole where they stopped believing. I wholly followed the Lord my God when a million others would not. What Caleb did was to commit himself even more dearly to the promises of God. Their negative report didn't quench his thing. It made him more determined because he knew what God had said. But even more, He knew who was with him. He knew that the Lord his God had determined to give this land to his people. And a million unbelievers would not quench the promises of God. God is true. My friends, it can be very hard to face even the hostility and the persecution and oppression of those who do not believe God. But here is where you need to give yourself wholly to the Lord. And again it brings us to that point of prayer. In that circumstance where you fall before the Lord. And say Lord be my strength and help. That my faith should not fail. And what do we have from Christ himself? The promise. Think about it in the time when. His own disciples, the apostles, were all wondering who was going to betray the Lord and wondering and asking Christ, is it I, is it I? And when Peter uh, stood up, it's, it's always you know one of those things that sticks in my mind. He just did a sweeping hand of all the apostles and said, even if all of them uh, forsake you, I won't. And Jesus looks at him and says, you will, uh, paraphrase, you will lead them in forsaking me. You're going to deny me three times. They're going to run away, but you're going to stand and deny me. What did he say to him? I pray for you. I do believe that Caleb had this wholehearted following founded on that knowledge that his God was working. I have prayed for you, he said to Peter, that what? That your faith should not fail. You know, that mustard seed faith can look very small, but it's still faith, isn't it? What is greater is the one in whom that mustard seed faith believed, the Lord, the Lord Jesus. You know, a week and a half ago, it was Ascension Thursday. Jesus returning to heaven sitting at the right hand of the Father. What is he doing there every day for you? What is, it's it's my favorite scripture verse of all, Hebrews 7.25. What does Christ live for at the Father's right hand? He lives there to intercede for you so that you will be saved to the 
wholehearted following, great faith can be very, very challenging, can be very lonely. But for the presence and the comfort of our Lord and Savior, we would be consumed. But again, here's the promise. I am with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. What have you to fear? You know, I, 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 believe, I believe as Joshua begins with that very promise from God to Joshua that Caleb was even looking there and saying, God has said this. He's with us. Let me go and take on these giants. And the Lord is with me. I'll receive it. Wholehearted following of the Lord needs to resist pessimism, even from within your own heart. <coughs> the way to resist it is by knowing and giving yourself to the Lord who is interceding for you. And the last, and, and just very quickly here, is pursuing God's purpose. And you see Caleb remarkably here saying, the Lord has promised me an inheritance. Caleb knew that the Lord wanted them to have this land. It wasn't that God was saying, okay, have at it and I'll see how you're doing and you'll get what you claim. God wanted them to go forward in the power of Christ to lay hold of this land for the kingdom of God. And Caleb knew that. And, and in pursuing this devotion to God, pursuing that kingdom of God, Caleb even asks for probably the most dangerous part of the land to lay hold of. And you look at his testimony in verse uh, 11 of chapter 14. I'm as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain which the Lord spoke for me. God has promised it. You, you listen to an 85-year-old man saying, let me have at it with those giants. I'll take them on. <laughs> Why would he say that? Because it was God's purpose. He knew God's purpose. He knew that he wouldn't be doing this in his own strength. You know, we always think of King David who killed Goliath, but we seldom think of this 85-year-old man who took down four giants, <laughs> four other Goliaths. How did he do it? He waited on the Lord. He knew God's purposes. He knew his strength wasn't of his own doing. No 85-year-old man has that kind of strength in and of themselves. He knew that it came from the Lord. And he waited on the Lord for that strength. How do we know that? Because it took 45 years for him to gain what the Lord had promised him. He never lost heart in that promise. He looked and said, God, God said he would give it to me. It's going to come my way. I'll wait until the Lord is ready to give it to me. But I know I'm going to receive it. And I will wait on the Lord. And I'm sure many of you know Isaiah 40, verse 31. What do, what do we hear from those words? Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. 
Those who wait on the Lord shall mount up with wings like eagles. Those who wait on the Lord shall run and not be weary. Those who wait on the Lord shall walk and not faint. Wait on the Lord. doesn't mean not do, you're, you're doing nothing. What it, what it means is you are seeking the Lord, constantly putting before him, your promise to give me this, Lord, will you give me this land? And the Lord will, in his time, accomplish all of his purposes for you. And always and ever, the Lord is the one who brings forth these glories. Joshua, we read there in verse 13, Joshua blessed Caleb. What does that mean? Joshua knew that there was one greater than him. One uh, whose name he reflected. The Lord, our God. The Lord, the Messiah. The Lord Jesus Christ. And like David, Caleb was able to, able to overcome in and through the victory that the Lord would gain for him. He wasn't resting in himself. He was trusting in the one who promised. He was wholly following the Lord. And you know what that means? It means that he was wholly following Jesus Christ, the one who wholly obeyed, the one who fully loved the Father, the one who completely accomplished the Father's will for us and for our salvation. He was wholly following the one who alone wholly followed God in everything. And that is who we stand in. So you read these words, you are seeing a man of great faith who committed his life loyalty and devotion to the one who gave his life for him that he might receive the inheritance promised. Caleb's like us living out our days. Believe in the Lord. Believe in who he is as God, God the Son who has come to bring you salvation. Believe in the one who has all authority, all Believe in the one who is willing to hear your prayers and to do what you ask of him because he is the one who is the Lord our God. Believe in him.